Well, it's, it's good to be in the, in the lifeboat tonight and uh, just praise God that I have a testimony to, to share, a testimony to give. Uh, Robert had asked me some time back if I'd share my testimony here and it didn't suit. Uh, there was something else on prior, but that was the night Holly Parsons gave her testimony and I uh, believe that was God's plan because God makes no mistakes who he has uh, in places at certain times. So I believe that night was for Holly and then Robert asked me during the mission, what about the, the 1st of May? And I looked at Robert and I said, well, that's my birthday. <laughs> and then Robert kind of looked, oh no, he's going to say it doesn't suit him either. So, But no, I, it did suit me. And well, I suppose it's that's not as I was born. I'm 61 today, and I was born in 61. So there you are. Uh, I'll just open with a, a word of prayer. I just feel I do this when I give my testimony because it just settles me. And uh, just I want to give God. I'm not here. God has given me this testimony because as Him saved me, I couldn't save myself. And you'll you'll learn that here as I as I share. But I just want to give God the glory and just to settle my own self in him here. Because as Bertie said, uh, for me to speak out of myself tonight is just boastful. I want to speak as the Lord leads. I have wee notes here just in front of me. And uh, I want the Lord to speak. And the Lord knows each one who uses it here. He knows where you are. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So I pray tonight that wherever you are, I trust that the Lord will speak into your hearts. Father, we just thank you tonight. Lord, it's wonderful uh, to be able to say I'm saved, not of my own strength, but through the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the blood that was shed at Calvary. Lord, you give up your life, Lord, for me. You shed your blood for me. Lord, I'm an individual. Each one of us are individuals before you tonight, Lord. We are here as a congregation before you, Lord, but you see into each one of our lives, Lord, you know every thought, you know every imagination. So, Lord, I just give you the praise tonight and give you the glory. And, Lord, help me to share, Lord, just about my life and what I, the path that you led me on, Father. And though I said no many times and I was hard and stubborn, Lord, I just thank and praise you that you did not leave me that you were patient with me, and you brought me through, Lord, to salvation, to the glory of God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, I was born in uh, 1961. I was uh, brought up in uh, Lisnesky. I was born into a Christian home, and I know you often hear that said, into a Christian home, but uh, it was a Christian home. It was a home of prayer. My mom and dad were... uh, praying parents, uh, and from an early age, you know, that's what we knew, we, the Bible has read to us, and uh, taught the things of God, but just because you're taught the things of God, and you, unless you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you can still go to a lost eternity. So I was, I was into a farming family, and uh, my father was a great man for growing vegetables, and I, I always say this from a, a, as soon as we were fit to lift the barrow of the stands, I, I'm one of four. There's two older sisters, Amy and Dorothy, and a younger brother, Alan, 
And as soon, gears included, as soon as we were fit to lift the bar off the stands, you were working. You knew how to work. You had the calluses on the hands. But that was good because uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the outdoor life. I still do. And uh, we were self-sufficient in a way. It was just the way things were. Lovely, wonderful uh, childhood memories. My father was a, a big County Monaghan man. And uh, him and his brother had moved up to just outside Lisnesky. I uh, just can't remember the year, but they'd moved up and they bought two farms uh, just beside each other. And my mother, she was from County Antrim. Uh, and as I say, I was a true Ulster man because there's nine counties in Ulster. Uh, that's my mother. She was, from, uh, she was a nurse. And she met my dad. My dad had uh, TB and he was in White Abbey Hospital. And he, he uh, had a lung removed. And uh, that my, it was my mom nursed him. And just the way life goes, they fell for each other. And they ended up, and my mom ended up in, in Lisnesky. But, as I said, brought up in a, a, a Christian home. And loads of carefree days. You know, in the hay field and the, the silage field. And when you're a farmer's son, you learn very quickly. And you learn so much. You know, you could be uh, following cattle, cutting hay, cutting silage, calving cows, doing a bit of plumbing, doing a bit of fencing, doing a bit of this and doing a bit of that. You're jack of all trades and master of none, but that's the way life is on the farm. And it was a wonderful life, as I say, a carefree life. But in uh, 1972, I had a, an Uncle Stuart who lived in, in uh, Cumber, and uh, he contracted cancer, and he sadly died. Uh, a young man, but the funeral was uh, was a weekend, and we were all at the funeral. I was just 11 at this stage, and while we were away, it was the 7th of August, while we were away, it was a, a Saturday, and we're home, but there's big, those, I'm sure many of you are from the country, you know those big stone culverts that you get run through, Alan and I run through them as a boy, our land was split by the, the road just, and the uh, Evil and wicked men planted a large explosive device. They used hay from our shed to stack up the culvert on either side so that the blast would go up, not out. And uh, as a Sunday night, it was late in the night, there was two army landowners coming down the road. And they, they were sitting up at a, on a hill behind our house. I mean, our house is only 100 yards from this culvert. And there was an almighty explosion. And uh, two young uh, men lost their lives that night, David Wynn. He was 21, and Eric Gordon, he was 22 with the Royal Artillery. Those men were blue into eternity. Uh, and the way things go, because it's strange, because there's a wee gate down into what we would call the well field, and uh, the Landovers blew down there. They actually suffocated. The, the most seriously injured of the, the boys in the Landover actually survived. So, uh, but my parents went out to the road that night, and times as, as they were in 72, we lived in a, in a most, in a, quite a staunch Roman Catholic area, and uh, they could hear the screams, and they didn't know whether this was ones standing over. You know, they didn't know whether the terrorists were still there or what, and it was such a, a fearful time. I remember them chat, chatting about it later, you know, as we got older, but they didn't actually know and the dead of night, you know, the grief of dad just losing his brother and all these things coming in together. But the next morning, in daylight, revealed the tale. As I said, two soldiers lost their lives that night. Uh, but 
the, the field, our house is sitting in a wee bit of a hollow, but the fields around the house were just littered with these massive big stones. Now they went over the house, they went round the house, and there was only one slate broke in our house, and my parents put that down, that the Lord preserved us. Prayer covered that house. Because there's no other, if you'd seen the yard, if you'd seen the fields, make something. And the law of average, you just think something should have went into the house. But apart from that one slate, so again, this is just the covering of prayer. But that, that uh, event changed our lives forever uh, because a fire crept into the house because there's another culvert, one of those exact same culverts is right on the gateway where you turned into our house. And Dad, I remember helping my dad uh, block that up and putting a 12-inch pipe in it and blocking it up. Such was the fire in case you know, a return trip by these boys would do this. But, uh, and that had a, had an effect. You know, it had an effect on the house because, uh, as I say, the fear and anxiety and the, just the suspicion of, uh, of neighbors, of ones that were moving about, you didn't know who to trust, you know, before, and it still went on. You know, one farmer helped another in the hay field or the silage field or, you know, if they needed help calving a cow, those things all continued, but there was a, a mistrust really crept in, and uh, life went on, and I finished school, and I couldn't wait to get out of the place, and uh, I'd started working in Dowler's Hardware Shop in Lisna Ski uh, while I was at school, and my guy was enjoying it because I was doing that, and I was doing the farming, and make sure what young fella doesn't like raking about tractors, but when I look at the, the wee masses that we run about then and, and, and the brutes that are running the roads now, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, these big massive tractors. But uh, anyway, that life was going on okay and we'd, uh, we'd done new buildings on the farm and I suppose that's the way I could see my life going. You know, I was going to be working in the shop and Dowlers was, I was behind the hardware counter and you're seeing a lot of new stuff, tools coming in and electrical tools coming in and you just you had the first hand at everything you got a bit of a discount and you know if you wanted something for the farm and belt materials uh, but that's the way it was but uh, then again uh, it was a Sunday morning it was the, the, the 3rd of August we were just it's just an ordinary Sunday morning we are getting ready to go to church and uh, I, I just I can remember it so clearly in my head that there was nothing nothing out of the ordinary, and then all of a sudden we heard my mother's uh, cries. Uh, that was the morning my father died. As I said, there'd been a, a lot of anxiety in the house, uh, just from that bomb eight years previous and it was sudden it was tragic it was totally unexpected it was unforgettable and it's something that I'll never forget it's a long time back uh, now so it is but this is clear in my eyes as it is looking down on you the scene that matters. Uh, or met me when I run to my mother's cries and my sister Dorothy. Uh, Alan was three years younger than me and he has his own memories and they're vivid as well. And uh, But after Dad's death, you know, it was, you were in a, in a trance, really. Through the whole funeral time, you are in a trance. I remember a man 
you know, farmers, local men coming and they'd, they'd throw their arm around you and they'd give you a slap on the back and they'd tell you to be all right, Cub. And I can tell you now, if you're ever in a situation like that, unless you know, know that it's going to be all right, don't ever say that to anybody because it wasn't all right. It was not all right. And it took decades for me to cut over what had happened that morning. Uh, it had a, an awful effect on our family. Uh, I struggled on around the farm for a couple of years. Uh, became in very unsettled because, you see, I had been out every day, you know, every you know, evenings, Saturdays, days I was off, and as I said, all those things you're doing, and I, I learned all at my father's side. You know, it just makes me think, God, you know, God wants his, us to be his children. And, you know, if you're, if you're a Christian and you're sticking close to God, like you'll learn. You'll learn from your Father in heaven. I learned all these things from my father, my earthly father. And everything I touched, everything I looked at, as I said, we put up new buildings. And everything had my father's hand on it. And I, I just, I started to detest it all. I started to, I don't want to be here. I want out of this. And I remember one day I was sitting at the kitchen table and my mother came in and the newsletter was open on the, the table. And I, uh, I'd seen this advertisement for the place and I was filling it in. And my mother said to me, what are you doing? And I told her what I was doing. And uh, she said to me, hey, I just don't, don't do that. I can still see her stand and I say, don't do that. But I was determined that I wasn't going to be any longer at that farm. I was the oldest son. Probably I would have inherited at the farm and I said I was there doing the shop and both. But I wanted away, and I couldn't get away quick enough. So anyway, I joined the place. The farm was sold, and my mother moved into a little house in Lissenski. My mother, as I said, uh, was such a praying woman. She had, in her Bible, I have, she had a couple of Bibles. I have one of her Bibles. She passed away in uh, Boxing Day in, in 2018, and uh, she was just shy, three weeks shy of 95 years of age. But in one of her Bibles, she had a picture of the house that was an impartial reporter, the man of paper, impartial reporter, and she had that stuck in the inside of it because she said, God, gift her that house because she was within walking distance from the church. She was in walking distance of the town. She didn't have to worry about a car. And that, she said, she'd asked for this from the Lord and he'd gifted it to her. And uh, she was happy there. So I went off to the place and talk about going from the, the frying pan into the fire, as uh, Bertie and George here and others are aware of what Northern Ireland was like in the early 80s. It was a madhouse. Uh, but I went on, and I, I enjoyed the training. I enjoyed the, the weapons and the cars, and who, who doesn't like driving fast cars that aren't yours and aren't being service by you and everything else? You could enjoy these things, and I loved the weapon training. Uh, I loved being out, and as I said, from a rural background, I loved being out in, in the fields, the highways and byways and roundabout and meeting people. And uh, that, was, that was good. Then something good happened. Along came Suze. Susie. On the 12th of, of July 1983, 
Uh, I was over at a social in Tampo, uh, a little backwater. Clabby <laughs> uh, is a big place compared to Mary Trevor. But I was over at a social there, and Susie was there with her sister. And uh, we're doing those party games. I'm sure many of you have been at those socials. Doing those party games, and uh, I started to get an interest in this girl, and I asked her, would, could I leave her home? But she had, she was the oldest of three, and she had her father's car, and she was driving her sister, so she had to bring her sister home. So I followed her, and her sister ate the head of her the whole way home, because she says, you get into the car with that boy, because I had a bit of a reputation, but fast driving, he'll kill you. But uh, 36 years later, we're still hanging in there. But uh, well, we're engaged. We started going out that night, and we're engaged within nine months. And within two years, we were married. And uh, we got a wee house in, in the old Rosario in Enniskillen. I was in Balcoo at the time, in the place. And you know, there's, there's many, I'm not going into the, the things that I witnessed in the place, because uh, just best left alone. But there's more, when I look back now on my life, there's more instances that I was at. Terrorist instance, one, there's one especially one terrorist instance involving weapons, and it was only the hand of God. And I'll come to that again in a wee while, but it was only the hand of God that preserved me. Because if I had done certain things, I look back now, and if I've done certain things that I can remember these, you can remember these instances, and if I've done certain things in a different way, uh, in one instance especially, there, there was a, a weapon, and I believe that I probably would have been shot. But uh, Susie uh, got, was pregnant and this is, we're going on now 1987 and Susie was pregnant with her uh, which turned out was Gareth, her son uh, she was five months pregnant and we were getting ready for the Remembrance Sunday uh, 1987 and uh, Jim and Anna were there because Susie's younger sister Serena was head girl in, the, in Daphne's college in Gillen, and she was laying on the wreath at the Cenotaph and uh, we had arranged to meet her parents at the Cenotaph just to watch Serena. And as we've always been uh, newly married and Susie pregnant, we were delayed. And it often makes me think, I'm sure you've often seen, sometimes you're, you're on the road and you need to get somewhere and you're, you're pushing on and you're scolding because somebody's in front of you, you're delayed. Sometimes a delay, and in this case, sometimes a delay can have such a change in your life. We were delayed, and if we had been in time, we'd have been standing beside Susie's father, Jim Dixon, and his wife, Anna, and, uh, well, who knows what would have happened, because the bomb, that bomb was detonated at the Cenotaph in Enniskillen. Uh, Jim was one of the most seriously injured, and I'm saying this out of respect tonight, I am not taking away from anybody, the ones that lost loved ones, and I, I know ones, and they're still grieving, and I feel for them tonight, and those also that were injured. But Jim was my wife's father, and he's my father-in-law, and uh, he was one of the most seriously injured that night, and or that day. And uh, again, like this, this was something life-changing, because Jim was taken up to Swa. I remember we, we were in the Crownless with Road, uh, you and that bomb had to bond off. Just, I'm just talking minutes, and we'd been up in the middle of that. But Susie was five months pregnant. I remember we were parked outside the Presbyterian Church, 
at the back of it there in the Queen Elizabeth Road. And uh, Susie was standing beside the car. And I walked up into it because we didn't know where her parents were when you were there. We didn't know where Serena was. And uh, all I could describe it, I don't know what hell is like. But if it's anything like that, I don't want to be anywhere near it. It was a total, a sign of total carnage and mayhem. Bodies thrown everywhere. Dead, alive, screaming, dust, blood. Uh, it was unbelievable. And it's, that's, that's maybe a bit graphic. Uh, but that's reality. That's reality. That's the way this country was. Bertie mentioned you know, this awful abortion, the termination of children. It's still going on in a different mode. Uh, but I remember looking down at Susie and she was heaving. Her body was heaving with, uh, with sobbing with tears because she didn't know what I was going to find. She didn't know what I was going to come back and tell her. But uh, I found a, a, a policeman you know, who knew Jim and Anna and he told us that they, he believed that they'd been taken up through the town in an ambulance. The, the ambulance, because the, the ambulance crews were there, because they laid wreaths as well, and St John's ambulance, they're all there, so things were moved quite, fairly, fairly swiftly. But uh, Jim was flown by Lynx helicopter to Ockney Galvin, and we went up the road, followed them up the road in the car, and I mean, he was there uh, for a long time in Ockney Galvin. And that's many, many years ago when that dear man suffers to this day. So he does. But if I move on to 2013, I know it's, it's a big jump. I'd, uh, I'd left the place uh, in the noughties. And I'd always, always had this love of gardening. Uh, back, to, back to my roots, you know, as I said, my, ma, my dad was a great man for vegetables, my mother. She had come from a market gardening family in, in Antrim, and uh, just green fingers, and it had just obviously, it was in my genes. <laughs> but uh, I always always wanted, thought I'd love to start up a, a gardening business or something, so I got an opportunity to go. I had over 20 years done, so I run and uh, started this, this, this gardening business. Uh, but... You know, I remember Susie saying to me after I got out of the place, and because if you think back to it, I mean, we're all, every one of us has a mobile phone, I'd say, in our, in our pocket. You'd you, you never go back to the house if you left it at home because you can't do it without the thing. But back then, there was no mobile phones. My guy was away for days at the time, and you might get one phone call at night home to Susie, and if she wasn't in the house, she didn't get her. You know, but that's how life was. Now, if we don't seem to be telling each other where we are every five minutes, you know, the, the world's going to end. But that's the way it was then, and, and we don't realise the pressure it was on wives, you know, and, and, and husbands of, of policewomen and, and uh, soldiers. Uh, but everything, Susie said to me that, you know, we've got our life back, you know, now that I'm out of the, the forces. And we had a great social life. We, uh, we loved uh, dinner dances and things like that. Got out to uh, socialise and meals and with, with a group of of friends, fellas, that uh, I had met through work and uh, knew their, their wives and we, we all got on so well together. They're in our house, we're in theirs. But deep down, deep down in me, I knew I, I was so unhappy. I was, you know, 
you were, you'd go to a dinner dance and you'd spend all this money on dresses for the women and suits for the men and, you know, getting the finest cigar to smoke at the table. You thought you were a big lad. And, but that once you come home the next morning, you'd have a sore head. That, that's gone. Then you're looking for the next one. When is the, when's the next thing coming up? No, no satisfaction. Satisfaction for a night. I heard in, uh, as Gordon Quinn last Sunday night was speaking in, in Lusnesky, uh, Manuel Fellowship, and he, he does street outreach in, in uh, Irvingstown. And he said he just watched, and George and Anne and Susie and I do this in Anna Skillen as well. They come out of one pub and they go to another, come out of that pub and go to another. They can tell you, just, you know, back and forward, back and forward. They don't know what they're looking for. That's, that's, I was the same. You go looking for satisfaction, but you're not getting satisfied. And uh, all this, I hadn't, I didn't come from a drinking family. As I said, it was a Christian house. There was no alcohol in it. But after joining the police, and within a very short time, you were introduced to alcohol. And I found, I liked it. And I found I could drink quite a lot of it. But that was great, and the crack was mighty. You're with a bunch of lads, and the crack, and the slagging, and it was just brilliant. But my father's death started to rise up, and I started to get angry. And you're going to these scenes, you're going to murders and explosions and suicides and all this sort of thing. And because my father's death had never been dealt with, it's like every time you went, there's a knife like being twisted in you, and you, get, and you took more drink to hide that, and that drink then made you angry. And you wanted to get back at the world. You wanted to get even with the world. But, uh, you know, my brother, Alan, he invited me over to a mission in uh, Brookborough. And I had said no so many times to him. But I thought, I'll say yes, and that'll stop and ask me. So I said yes, and I went. And Daryl Kidd was speaking at that night, at that mission. And there's a wee verse, there's a couple of verses of scripture here I just want to share. And it's John 1, and it's the verses 40 to 42. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which has been interpreted to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And he brought him to Jesus. My brother uh, was saved quite a few years before this. And he had a concern for me. And he asked me out of love for his brother, his earthly brother. And he'd asked me several times. And it's just, if, if you've asked someone to come to a meeting or come to a mission and they say no, you know, don't give up. Ask again because you never know you might get a yes, just the way I did. And what happened that night started a, a series of events that led to such a change in my life. Uh, as I said, this is 2013. I'd stopped. I used to go to the, the church in Anniskillen, and I loved singing. I still do love singing. And uh, I went more for the singing. I just loved hymns. I just loved bellowing out those good old hymns. And... Uh, as I said, stop going to church. And Susie, you would say, we need to go somewhere nice as well. I said, I'm happy enough. I used to go out for big long walks on Sunday morning. 
and uh, as far as I was, I was content enough. But uh, me going to that, that mission over at, the, at Brookborough with Daryl Kidd speaking, he brought up things that I started to recall from my youth. I have this wee Bible here, and it's, it's a small wee Bible, and this is the way we were brought up, because this here was presented to me in 1969 from the post of Sunday School, Lower Marion Street, Dublin. So this is the way our parents brought us up in the things of God. Train up a child in the way it should go, and when it is old, it shall not depart from them. See, there's ones here with we children in here tonight. Keep, keep preaching, not preaching. Keep sharing the things of God. You know, just as, a, as our Heavenly Father loves us, you, I have a son, you know, and uh, it's just keep sharing with them. Because you, the seeds are being sown. I, I garden, I was saying to Stephen uh, over at Welcome Hall earlier, you know, if you plant, and I've been planting seeds, Trevor's a, a wee greenhouse there and he's been planting seeds on it. You don't see those seeds coming up immediately. But up they come. They will come. Not in our time, but they'll come. And if you keep planting those wee seeds, they will come. And God knows what that'll do. God knows. So, uh, after that, that, that meeting over in Brookborough, uh, I said, Susie, there's a, uh, I'd seen it on my walks. There's a, a, a church that opened up. There'd been a house church. It was from Anna Christian Fellowship. It started off in a, in a home and then it got too big for the home and they moved into a, a vacant premises in Dalmer Street in Anniskillen. And, uh, it was, uh, I passed that in the morning on this route I had. Uh, if you know Castle Cool, we lived on the, the far side of town, Batora side of town. I used to go through us and over the hills and round and round Castle Cool and away around the lake and back. And I'd see these ones going in the church and I'd pass and I'd, uh, you'd see this, the wind just steamed up and that was, <laughs> it was just because it was a low ceiling building. And I used to think to myself, what kind of an outfit's that in there? But Susie, she kept on at me and, uh, she says, why don't we try that place in Belmer Street? So as I say, it got rattled in, in Brookborough. And uh, so I said, right, okay, well, I'll go on ahead and I'll go with you. And when, I, when we went in there, uh, I started to hear the things again. Uh, I could, could, the singing was lovely, so it was. And uh, the messages were good. They're, they're preaching from the Word of God. And I really started to feel this. Is, I'm, I'm enjoying this. So... Uh, that was that was March 2013, and uh, see God God was working on me, so He was, and it, uh, right, right away on through to October. So we knew several months had passed, but uh, there's one. It was a, a Monday night. There was a, there was a Bible study on, and uh, I thought to myself, I must I must go to this Bible study, and the children's meeting on before it. And I remember going to the door in Balmer Street, uh, the sweet side entry, I parked in the car park in Keeley in behind it. And I went to the door and my hand on the door, handle of the door, and the children were still inside and I turned and I walked away. And I went down the side entry and I stood. It was obviously dark, the evenings were dark. And I remember standing with my head against the wall, just going, yeah or nay, you know. And it was uh, another fella, ex-policeman, and he was going round to get the, the bus, Richard, and he was going round to get the bus to lift the children. And he came down the entry and he spoke to me. And that's all he did, just 
hydrangea. And that snapped me out. Oh, see, the devil, the devil did not want me to go in there. Definitely did not want me to go in. But God was slowly taking me by the hand and leading me because he knew I was so stubborn. I was stubborn as a mule. And uh, so I went in and got myself seated. And uh, I have uh, a good friend here tonight. In fact, two good friends. Those are good friends, but George and Ange. But George was there that night. And George, I had served with George. George was in the army. And I had patrolled the, 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 the border with George. And George was there. And uh, I think I'd, I'd seen him obviously at church, but I'd never really... See, I, I was... I was so aware of being cornered. I remember being invited to a, a policeman's Christian mission or a meeting, and I went to the stables one night, and there's an inspector, Bob Charlton. And uh, Bob asked me, he says, you coming upstairs for tea? And I said, no, I don't drink tea. Well, neither do, apart. I don't drink that much. But I wasn't really telling him a lie. Until, uh, but I knew if I went upstairs, I'd get cornered. And I didn't want to be cornered. So I just made my escape. I went to the meeting again, probably to, I think it was my father-in-law actually brought me to that meeting. I agreed to go with him to keep them quiet, but uh, and there, there was George, and I thought to myself, man, and they're, 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 they're speaking in Romans, and I, I was more uh, just looking at George, and, and listening to George, and no one having patrol with them, and the crack was on and those, you know, the, when we were out in those patrols again, the slagging and the language and the jokes. And I was going, this is some change in this man's life here. And uh, there he sits tonight. I, mean, I didn't know he was coming down here. And he's come down from Enniskillen just to support him and Ange. And uh, he is a, he, they both have a fantastic story as well, what the Lord has done in their lives. But, uh, I listened, and as I, the, the meeting drew to a close and we're heading for the door, I said to uh, Stevie Scott, Stevie's one of the elders in Fermanagh Christian Fellowship. Now, Stevie's as, as short as I'm tall, and I was, you know, one of my strides is a, is a fair bit, and I was heading for the door, and I just said on the way out, he shook hands with me, and I said, pray for me. You know, another stride, and I was going out to the door, but his hand caught me, and uh, he says, we'll do that right now. So I went down to the back of the, the hall or the room and sat down and uh, he just asked me to share a wee bit about myself, where I was, you know, what was I asking prayer for, where I was coming from. And I told him and uh, there was tears that night because I was so heavily burdened. You know, I was really, really weighed down. If you'd, you got used to putting on a good face, so you had, and uh, Stevie prayed with me that night, you know, and one thing I'll never forget him for, because he said to me, and I think it's so important, in anything we do, and he said to me, Jeff, if you're sincere, if you're sincere in what you're telling me, if you're sincere that you're looking for the Lord, if you're sincere that you're looking the Lord to lead you, and, you know, the, the words just... They're imprinted on my mind. Be sincere. Be honest. Be open. So I I went home that night, and uh, mind you, there was there was plenty of mulling about in the old grey matter that night. So there was. But I got up the next morning, and as I said, I was at the garden, and away I went in my van, and I was taking a break about eleven o'clock or so. And I this I'd taken this wee Bible, 
out of the drawer. And many persons said to me, this, that's a great you know, for the age of it. It's 50, what is that, 51 years of age, 52 years of age. And it's a great neck. Well, I says, a thing doesn't get abused when it's sitting in a drawer. And that's where it had been, you know, lying for years. It always make, I would never, I was always, I have a fear of God. I don't, I don't fear man as such, because, you know, man can kill the body, but he can't kill the soul. But the Lord can kill the body and the soul. So I had a fear of God, and I'd never, I would never damage, I'd never be disrespectful to God's word. Uh, but, so that's, I'd always treasured this wee, this wee Bible here. The next day, as I said, I was in the, in my van, and I just closed my eyes, sitting at the steering wheel, with this Bible open. And I said to the Lord, I said, show me something in your word, because I am a needy man. I said, I need to hear from you. I need you to lead me. And I lifted the Bible. I said it was open, and I just kind of went like that there. And it opened at Job chapter uh, 10. And the first, in the very first verse, and my eyes, you know, there's loads of print on a page, my eyes were just drawn to the first line of the first verse, and it's, my soul is weary of my life. Spot on. That's exactly where I was. My soul was weary of my life. I was heavy, and I was heavy burdened. I was laid down with the weight of sin. And I, I stared at that. And I actually, uh, there was tears rolling down my cheeks, but I said, Lord, how do you, you know, well, I shouldn't have been surprised, but you do be. And I said, how do you know me so well that this is the state of my soul? So, uh, went on. I thanked God for showing me that in his word. I went on about my, my business that day. And the, the following day, I did the same thing again about the same time. And again, I opened the Bible and, and I've tried to do it. And you can't do it because God is all powerful. And the next day, I opened the Bible again, and my eyes were just drawn. It was Job 11, Job chapter 11, and my eyes were drawn to uh, verse 15. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot, yea, thou shalt be steadfast, and shalt not fear, because thou shalt forget thy misery, and remember it as waters that pass away. And I took that as direct, uh, just God just directly speaking to me, you know, to lift up my face. My mom had a great saying, keep looking up, the best is yet to come. And uh, thou shalt forget thy misery. I, I had misery over my father's death because I had a class to my dad, and I have a, praise God, I have the same relationship with my own son. Uh, a lovely, close relationship. A loving relationship. A father-son relationship. And I had lost that, and it had happened so quickly with my dad that that's why it hurt so much. But, you know, and if you, I'm sure as a, a child and maybe as, as an adult, you maybe have stood at a bridge and you've dropped something in and you went to the far side to watch it come out here. Or with your children, I remember doing it with Gareth. And uh, that's, you know, as waters pass away, that's what the Lord was telling me, to let your grief pass away. Now, it didn't happen immediately, but it did. Uh, I don't apologize for getting caught up whenever I speak of my late father because... Uh, when someone you love, I believe I will see him in glory. So I do, and I, I cling to that. And uh, that will be 
after I have knelt at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and thanked him for dying for me, I would just love to see my father's face again. Uh, see, this, that was, that was the, the first one was the Tuesday, uh, and then the Wednesday was up on there, Job 11, 15, and then on the Thursday, the 10th of October, uh, again I opened the Bible and it opened at Isaiah 41, 13. See, I, I, was, uh, I knew what I needed to do. I definitely knew in my heart what I needed to do. But I was keep, kept putting it off and I'll not be fit to do this. And, but to see, the battle that the Bible tells us, the battle's not ours, it's the Lord's. So we just, we have to come to him. It's him, it's him will keep us. We can't, I couldn't keep myself. couldn't keep myself for a minute, let alone a lifetime. Uh, Isaiah 41 and 13, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. What does the first two, very first two words of Psalm 37 tell us? Fret not. And I know I listen to some of the services from this place online, Bertie and Robert and Stephen and others. This old world is crazy. Fret not. So I looked at that there. Fear not. I will help thee. And God was, God was moving in me. God was building me up. He was giving me courage. And the next day, uh, I was at a, a, a good friend, she's a good friend now, I've been doing her garden for years, I must be doing something right, but uh, Lily, and uh, she was away, but she has a wee sunroom at the back, and she always has a lovely Christian lady, and she has her quiet time in that wee sunroom, and her Bible was sitting, now if you were sitting reading your Bible, you'd sit down your Bible like that, and for me to look at it would be upside down, but the Bible was turned out towards the window. I, um, I, I was passed, and I turned from back, and I looked at it, and it was like, Chapter, it was open at Luke chapter 6, but again my eyes were drawn to these verses. I didn't, I didn't scan up and down the columns looking for a verse. It's, uh, Luke 6, 22 and 23. You know, and I just remember thinking, Lord, you, you are, you're doing a work on me. Help give me the strength to keep going. Keep going. Uh, so that was right through the week. Now we're into Saturday and Sunday's coming. It's not about the, but did a couple of weeks ago with the resurrection. Friday's past, Sundays are coming. The resurrection day. But I, Susie was working, Gareth was working. Uh, I was home alone. And I knew I had an appointment with God. And I went to church in Belmore Street. Uh, the late Arthur Williams was speaking. Arthur, if some of you know him, Arthur was the founder of Staris. Staris being the Greek word for the cross. And uh, Arthur was speaking about the Holy Spirit and, and the blood of the Lamb, just speaking about how God had sh- uh, sent his Son to shed his blood for my sins. And uh, I, could feel, I could feel a peace. I, I can just, I, I'm just reliving it here as I'm sharing with you. I, I could feel a peace. I mean, I recognized that I was a sinner. I recognized that. And that the Lord Jesus Christ had bled and died for me. And he, he has done that, but we have to do something. You can't do it yourself. And if you're here and you think you can, you can't. It's the Lord Jesus Christ died for my sins. He bled, he suffered. I sometimes uh, read into that, you know, how the Lord Jesus died and, and the way he died and the, 
the cruelty of the cross, the cruelty of the scourging, the, the crown of thorns on the, the Son of God, and the Father turning his face away from him. Now, this is the same Son that he said, Behold, you know, my Son, my beloved Son, and he turned his face away from his own Son. I couldn't turn my face away from my son. He lived in Southampton, so he does. I miss him big time. He's there four years, but he's married. That's life, you know, the generation. But the father turned his face away from his son. And, the, and I think of that darkness coming over the Lord Jesus Christ, and my sin was piled on his body. If my sin, Mickey, you often hear people say it, and I've probably picked it up from people saying this, if my life was scrolled out behind me now on this screen, I couldn't stand here for some of the things I've been up to in my life. But God took that all in his body for me, and I had to do something. I knew that Sunday morning that I had to do something. I couldn't go. I, I said, I, I, I fear of the Lord. And I actually... Uh, had got a fear in me that if I said no one more time, that the Lord would cut me off. Because the Bible tells us that. You know, I will no longer strive with man. He'll take his Holy Spirit. He'll take that away from you. And he'll leave you to your devices. That's what's happened here and in, 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 you know, across the world. You look at what's going on. But that morning, I bowed my head. The service was over and there was a break between that and the, and the breaking of bread and I bowed my head and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ into my life. And I, like, and I, I was bowed down and others said to me after that they knew something was going on because I was sitting on my own. There was no loud thunderstops. There was none of that. It was just peacefully between me and my Savior. I said sorry and he forgave me. That's the way it was. I said sorry, and he forgave me. He washed my sin away in a stroke. My sin is separated as far as the east is from the west, and none of us know how far that is. And I, I lifted my head up, and I was a new person in Christ. I bowed my head as a sinner, and I lifted my head as a saved, redeemed man of God. And I just thank God so much for it. Thank God so much for it. And I, and I praise him for it. The devil, you know, had played about with me for so many years. All been well, God willing, it'll be nine years on the 13th of October. But when I, when I got up to my feet, if you take a bottle of Coke and give it a good shake and go to take the cap off it, what happens? Yeah, it explodes. We used to have an old thing in the Land Rovers years ago. We'd maybe have a group of boys sitting in the Land Rover and you'd open the door a wee bit and you'd shake a tin of coke and you'd go like this here and throw it into the middle of them. Just badness. But it's a sticky substance and it sticks onto everything, you know. But uh, that's, I just wanted to get out and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I had a, had a, Susie and I had a good circle of friends socialising living in each other's houses at times, spent nights in each other's houses. And I thought, I want, I want to get at these boys now because these boys will all come along now and they'll all get saved and we'll all be a big happy band again. 
But I knew I had to go and tell them. I didn't want them to hear from anybody else. And I knew that was going to take stance. And that, you see, if I go back to that wee verse there, I said, you know, fear not, I will help you. The Lord was going to lead me. He led me to salvation. And he was going to lead me to tell these boys. So I went around each, each one of them. Sometimes I had to stop on the road before I went to their houses because I was so nervous. I, I'm serious. I was so, so nervous. And uh, But I went in, and not one of them, not to a man, said, you know, that, but this old thing of, well, if it's if it's good for you, you know, that's great. But that's that thing of me thinking they're all going to get saved. A couple of them have come to hear me testimony in the past, but as yet none of them are saved. But the Lord had to strive a long time with me, and I'm praying that these men will one day bury the knee. Uh, give me you know, a testimony there. I gave it in Emmanuel's uh, Fellowship in Lissenski back in January last year, and I, I sent it round a few of them, and and you know they've come back and they've, they've, they've said things which is private between me and them, but at least they're listening. And, and God, I believe, will move. You know, there's one thing I neglected to say there. Uh, when I was when I was in Balcou, a young makes a young man station, so it was, and a crowd of young fellows all together, and uh, you can imagine the crack there was. But there was one fella. He was Joe Ferguson. Now, Joe was brought up in the Roman Catholic faith. I was brought up in the Protestant faith. But something clicked between the two of us. And boy, we just became the best of friends. The best of friends. And there's people outside, uh, family used to say, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust that boy. And, uh, and I said, you don't work on him. <laughs> but I, we were coming down. Uh, one day, it was railway road in Balcou. And uh, Robert was, was there... I think it might have been during lockdown, you were out doing a bit of open air and you were standing at the junction. And it brought it back to me this, that we were coming down that in a, an old red armoured cortina and we're coming down to the junction and we're chatting about this, just, you know, about the hatred, you know, people had for each other. And I said, Joe, you know, if this car went off the road with a booby trap bomb or something, you know, a landmine. I said, open the doors, they couldn't tell which blood was what. They couldn't have tell the, the Protestant blood from the Catholic blood flowing out through the door, but there'd be two dead bodies on it, probably. But they couldn't tell the difference in the blood. So that's the way him and I were, and we are. We've been at each other's weddings, and uh, I'm still in touch with Joe. And uh, Joe's brother, Michael, uh, we were in, later on, we were in, in Canale together. And uh, I was SDO, station duty officer. And Joe was sitting behind me, and the telephone went, and I answered it. And they asked to speak to Constable Ferguson, and I turned around, Joe's for you. And Joe came over, and I was I was seated, and Joe was standing beside me, and uh, the phone just dropped out of his hand. That's how they told him his brother was shot in the head in Londonderry. He's a policeman too, young fellow, Michael. They walked up behind him. You wouldn't do it to a dog, but that's what they did, and that's how they told Joe. That broke Joe. Broken for years. They couldn't get over that they, they wouldn't have the decency to get him into a skill or to come out to him and take him into a room. Somebody from headquarters, your brother's been shot. Inhumanity of it, it's just... But anyway, I keep praying for Joe. Uh, but the old devil is a mischievous boy I remember being down in, in the Erigal Hotel in Coot Hill. Daryl, the kid, was funniest, uh, 
that mission hall that's at your place, Tower. Uh, the Dara was running around the south of this mission, and, and, and the, the, it was in the hotel at this occasion. But I remember saying to, to Dara, you know, then you started to get to see the devil. says, oh, what good would you be? Because look at the age you know, you should have been doing this years ago. But uh, giving you regrets, you know, wasted years. The sign up on that stars, you know, wasted years. But Darrell said to me, you know, the, in Joel 2 and 25, and I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. And the Lord has been so good to me, you know, and what he has allowed me to do and, and, and blessed me in doing, you know, with, with George and Ange, with others, through the Welcome Hall, through uh, Emmanuel Christian Fellowship. And there's, I heard somebody say it once, you know, you get saved and get stuck or you get saved and you get stuck in. And I wanted to, and I still want to get saved and get stuck in, because I don't think there's a standing still. If you're a Christian, I don't think there's a standing still. If you're not going forward, you'll roll back. So I just want to, uh, I want to keep pushing on for the Lord. Uh, it's great getting involved in things over at Welcome Hall. Uh, and life teaches you so much, so it does, because, uh, that, as I said, the devil was, was, uh, had started to, to get at me about my father's death again. And I knew it was a, a boil that had to be lanced. And, and David Lake was speaking one night in the stables. And I remember speaking to him after it and just, saying to him about the way it was just dragging me back down. Uh, just the thoughts of it, the memories of it, the whole scene of it. And uh, he went into another place, and, and Brandon Jones came in as well. And they prayed with me that night, and it wasn't. It was a night where I had a real dealing with God, and he lifted that burden off me. I couldn't, I couldn't even mention. I, I, I remember my mum, uh, actually it was, it was Clarence. I remember being in, in Dungan and Elizabeth in Jim's motorhome. And I said to Clarence about my mum and the memory she had for names. And he says, that's because she's praying for them. I'll never forget that. But the Lord dealt with that that night. That boil was lanced, and that was put. I am now at peace with that, even though I, I said I'm not. Uh, I don't regret having an odd tear just for memories and just what happened. To my dad was so brutal, so quick. But my mum and I had some lovely conversations after I could see it. She had moved down. She had built a wee bungalow on my sister's farm just outside Coke here in Tyrone, and uh, she told me that during my time in the place, many's a time that she was woken at night, and she'd get out, and she'd just feel this urgency to get out and to get on her knees to pray for myself and my colleagues. And I believe eternity will tell uh, the story of that, because there was many... Many things, there was, uh, many things happened. Uh, many things were discovered on roads after we had driven over them. 
And uh, I believe prayer. Prayer, prayer is so important, Mick. Bertie's talking about it here. The prayer that you have in this place. Bertie was up with us here in Enniskillen at the prayer meeting, our men's prayer meeting on Sunday morning. And Bertie shared this, the first few verses of uh, Ezekiel chapter 1. And I was just looking at this this morning. I don't know, I don't know why I was thrown back to it. But on the, on the, the last line of verse 3 of Ezekiel 1, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him. The hand of the Lord was there upon him. And I believe that the hand of the Lord was upon me through my life because my mother was faithful in her prayer for her children. And uh, that's where I am today. Eternity shall reveal the power of prayer. Jim and Anna, uh, dear love them, they had a, as Susie's parents, they had a house fire back in August last year and they lost near enough everything. They lost the house, they lost their motor home. Uh, thank God they didn't lose their lives. A man, a young fella, was passing, he'd come up and he pulled Jim away. The head was singed, you think a blowtorch had been taken to it. Uh, with all his suffering and uh, they, they moved in with us. We lived very close behind them, very close beside them, rather. They moved in. We had the space, so they moved in with us. And, you know, it's a bad day you don't learn something. And I have learned over the past eight months. I could, I had sat with Jim. I've been on holidays with Jim. And, uh, you know, you're there. It's like looking after somebody else's children. You know, at the end of the day, you give them back, and the worries are back to them. I could see Jim, I could see him struggling to eat, I could see, but see when you're actually living in the same house, I can see what that man's gone through. And it is brutal. Since 1987, to have to eat. Remember, we're going up to church one Sunday morning, just to ski and have a bag of sweets. And the, well, we're both of her own either side. She likes her type and I like my type. But uh, that's been Susie, not her. Uh, and I asked Jim, would you want one? No. Can't suck a sweet because his, his mouth not working right, and he drool. Now that's a long time ago, and it always strikes me, you know, that he's a forgotten victim. And there's so many of them in this land. So many suffer, quietly suffer. But it has taught me patience. You know, Jim, it really has taught me patience. You know, everybody likes their own space, but when I watch him and watch his suffering. You know, it makes me think, you know, I, I can, I can lift, I can eat, I can horse down a steak, I can horse down my dinner, my dessert, my breakfast, I can horse that down. But Jim has to take, cut it into really small pieces or he'll choke. Now, can you imagine for doing that for all those years? But Jim said to me years ago, he said that he would crawl, crawl across a field of broken glass to bring the gospel to the men that blew him up. And when they lost the home, they said the next morning, I remember coming up with tea to them because, as you can imagine, they were in a fairly shocked state. And all they could say, naked came into the world, naked will leave. They didn't blame God, not in the slightest. And I thought, well, how, you know, how, what a forgiving spirit. You know, they're totally dependent. They're totally, they're looking forward to going home, to their real home. We're only passing through here. We're only tense. And this old body's Failing away. But I just, I pray now tonight that that's my testimony. Uh, as I said, 
We love doing street outreach and uh, working there over in Clabby with Welcome Hall and the ministry that's going on there. But there's, a, there's one wee verse I'll just leave you as a, as a close. And I don't know where you stand with the Lord. You know yourselves. The most of you is I don't know. Uh, there's a few here, a few at the back and Elizabeth. I do know. And uh, it's really good to have extended family here tonight in the shape of Alan. So it is. I've only really got to know this man or get to know this man over this last couple of years again. He's my second cousin, so it's really good, Alan, to have you here tonight. Uh, answer prayer to me. So, it's this wee verse. It's in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 5 and 31. And what will you do in the end? If you're not saved here tonight, what will you do in the end? You don't know when the Lord's going to come. You don't know when the Lord's going to call. We see it every day. We hear tragedies every day. People have been whisked out into eternity. I think of Amy Carmichael and that lovely story she told. It's a tragic story, but it's a lovely story talking about on the precipice of hell. And there's a crowd of people sitting, ladies sitting making daisy chains. I don't want to be sitting making daisy chains. I want to get out there and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's so much, if you're driving to church on a Sunday morning, the devil has thrown so much in people's paths. And that lockdown gave people the opportunity to get involved in so many other things. The road's full of cyclists, runners, walkers, dog walkers, joggers. And the, the things of God have just drifted off. I was chatting, Trevor and I were chatting to a man on Friday, working on a car. And I was more interested in getting this car, this old car, Getting, making sure all the parts were just shiny and nice and right on it. And we asked him about his soul. Never really thought of it. Never really thought of it. But we pray on. We strive on. Because that's what the Lord went to all the world and preached the gospel. So I just pray that my testimony and my stuttering has, well, helped some dear soul here tonight. And uh, I just thank God for saving me. Father, I just praise you tonight, Lord, because without you, Lord, I wouldn't be here. Lord, I wouldn't be saved, Father, if you hadn't sent your son to die on Calvary's tree, Lord. The cross held you, Father, but it was your son who bore my sin upon his body. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for praying parents. I thank you for a mother, Lord, that despite what she suffered in losing her husband, Lord, she never gave up on you. Lord, saved at the age of 13, died three weeks shy of 95. She loved you, Lord, with an everlasting love. And I just pray here tonight, Lord, for some dear soul or souls, Lord, if, they're, if they've grown cold, Lord, if they've lost their first love, Lord, that this few words that I have said, Lord, would draw them back to you, Father. Lord, if their soul is weary of their life, Lord, that they'll come, Lord, and kneel at the foot of the old rugged cross and cry unto the Lord to save them, Lord. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not the world, I will give you rest. So, Father, just bless this, this fellowship here. Bless Bertie, Lord, and Pat. I thank you so much for him, Lord. Bertie shared part of his testimony. Lord, with us in Lesnesky, or sorry, in Enniskillen on uh, Friday past. Lord, the work you've done to this man through obedience. For Robert here behind me, Lord, I just pray for Robert, Lord, and his, and his work on the streets, Lord. You strengthen him, Lord. You'll build him up and encourage him, Lord. For Stephen, Lord, 
I just thank you for this young man, Lord, who stepped out in faith, Lord, to serve you. Bless this place, Lord. Bless everybody involved with it and every head bowed, every family represented before you. And Lord, that you would move mightily, Lord, in this place, Lord, to the saving of souls. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Jeff, for just reminding us tonight of the simplicity of God's salvation. We're sinners. We have broken God's law, and it's God that we have to say sorry to. The meetings will be over, I promise, in five minutes. There's just one verse I want to read, and one thought I want to bring from that verse tonight, and it's in John 12, verse 48. John 12, verse 48, and it's the Lord Jesus is speaking here. And he says, He that rejecteth me, and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And there's a great responsibility, I believe, we see from this verse tonight, on the hearer of the word. If you're not saved tonight, it means that all your life, up to this very moment, you have rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've rejected his word. Like the Jews of old, you've treated him with contempt. You will not have this man to rule over you, and you put him to death. You might say to me tonight, well, you know, that's not fair. Um, I may not be saved, but I don't hate Christ. But friend, you see, this is a situation that we're all in tonight. Where the gospel banner is displayed, and where the gospel message is proclaimed, just as Jeff has done tonight through his testimony, neutrality is not permitted. You see, there are no neutrals in this building tonight. You're either a friend of the king, or you're a foe of the king. You cannot escape the righteous judgment of God tonight. Yes, Christ does say in the previous verse, verse 47, he says, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And yet, there is one that does judge you right now, this moment, and it is the word. And the word says, he that believeth not shall be damned. And the word says, he that believeth not is condemned already. You see, there is a judge on standby tonight, a judge that is ready and prepared to take the witness stand against you and condemn you to hell. Rejection of Christ and unbelief in Christ will not go unpunished. You see, this is serious stuff tonight. If you have not received the word, the reality is you're on death row tonight. Christ needs to judge no man. Sinners are self-judged. They're condemned already. And Christ needs to accuse no one. And you may think tonight that you've got away with your sin, but the reality is you're just storing up wrath like treasure for the last day. That's what you're doing. Divine justice has appointed a day. The last day when the words of Christ will judge unbelievers. Every word of Christ, every message of mercy will follow you and be remembered by you as you approach that very last day. Every invitation, every altar call, every gospel appeal, every testimony, every sermon, every kind offer from the pages of God's word that you have rejected will produce a testimony against you. Every man is judged according to the light that he is under. Those who heard the word and rejected it or could have heard the word but refused to hear the word are doomed with no defense. Jesus did not come to judge, he came to save. But if the sinner will not trust the Savior, then the Savior's words become the judge. 
However, here's the good news tonight. And Jeff has experienced that good news. The good news is this. And perhaps you're going to hear this good news for very, one last time this evening. Perhaps tonight, that's it. The good news is this. The word of God says, you see, it's always the word. It says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. And the word of God tonight, it says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It's everything to do with the Son. Whether you spend eternity in heaven or you spend eternity in the flames of hell, it all depends on what you do with Jesus Christ right now, this moment. Believing is seeing Christ for who he is. He is God the Son, the only one who can save you, the only one that can forgive you of your sins. Believing is trusting in him completely, depending on his blood to cleanse you from every stain of sin. It is coming to him as a poor, perishing sinner, repenting of your sin and receiving his mercy. It is then living for him, carrying your cross with him and expecting eternal life and salvation through him alone. Jesus speaks here of judgment and the last day as a reality. See, this is not make-believe stuff. This is for real tonight. We see in this verse that there is no universal salvation. There is a judgment. There is a heaven for those who receive the word. There is a hell for those who reject the word. And tonight, friend, through Jeff, you've heard the word. So be very careful what you now do with the word that has been spoken tonight because the same word will judge you on the last day. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you tonight for what you can do in a life. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in Jeff's life. We thank you, Lord, for even, and I can testify of this myself, how you protected him and watched over him even when he wanted absolutely nothing to do with you. And you brought him to the point in his life where he realized he had to get rid of his burden of sin and trust in you completely. And that's what he did. And he's a changed man tonight. And he's testified of that tonight. And Lord, that same mercy, that same forgiveness is available to every single person in this meeting tonight. And your word clearly says that he that cometh to you, you will in no wise cast out. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things become new, and that's what we have seen in this man tonight, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. Father, this is a solemn moment because we just don't know what's around the corner for any one of us. And it's so vitally important that we get right with God. And we pray that if there's any in the meeting tonight that's still outside of Christ, without a Savior, Lord, that they would just get right with God tonight by doing what Jeff did in, in simple childlike faith and coming to you at the foot of the cross and saying sorry. And they pray that there will be rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God tonight over one sinner that will repent and say sorry in this meeting. Thank you for your presence, Lord. We pray that you'll bring everyone to their homes and safety tomorrow. We realize tomorrow's a bank holiday. Roads will be busy. Children are off school. 
We pray that you'll protect every family. In this fellowship, every family that is represented here tonight, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.